We are coming in our study tonight to a new question in the larger catechism. Uh, Brother Jacob, would you pass out these uh, larger catechisms to anybody that needs them? Thank you. Thank you. I'm missing Ridley tonight. <laughs> Ridley usually passes out all these things for me. Okay. So, we are coming tonight to number 180. Wow, thank you. Number 180, this uh, question we will begin and complete. We are thankful for some of these questions that we can actually go through in one sitting. Some of them are quite long and take longer, but let us do number 180. What is it to pray in the name of Christ? To pray in the name of Christ is in obedience to His command and in confidence on His promises to ask mercy for His sake not by bare mentioning of His name, but by drawing our encouragement to pray and our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ and His mediation. All right. Praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the only way to reach God. Jesus said as much as that in John chapter 14 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No one will go to be with the Father eternally apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one can approach the Father except through the mediation of Christ in the matter of prayer. You want to get to God? It must be through Christ. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And what is a mediator? A mediator is one to bring together two differing parties. And here we have two parties that are very different. We have the perfectly holy God and we have sinful humanity. But we thank God that we are sinners saved by grace and that we have the privilege to coming to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our answer to this question tells us that to pray in the name of Christ is in obedience to His command. And we do have the command of the Lord Jesus Christ very often. But one of the occurrences of that command is in John chapter 16 and verse 24. Jesus said, Hitherto have ye asked nothing 
in my name. Ask. There it is. It is an imperative. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. It is the purpose of our Lord Jesus Christ to give us full joy. And we're going to turn to Daniel chapter 9 for a moment. Daniel chapter 9. And I want to point out that as we are taught to pray in Jesus' name, even the saints of God in the Old Testament prayed in the name of the very same person. In Daniel chapter 9, look with me at verse 17. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications, and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. Now, isn't that interesting? He's praying to Almighty God, and then he says, answer this prayer for the Lord's sake. Verse 18, O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before Thee for our righteousnesses, but for Thy great mercies. O Lord, hear! O Lord, forgive! O Lord, hearken and do! Defer not for Thine own sake, O my God. For Thy city and Thy people are called by Thy name. He makes His prayer for the Lord's sake, to Almighty God. How wonderful that is. Now, we are taught that we are to pray in the name of Christ, in obedience to His command, and in confidence on His promises. John chapter 5, for, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 5. Let's turn over there for a moment. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. His promises are based on the truth of His inspired Word. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. Here it is. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Now that's very important. Let's stop here for a moment. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And how do we know what His will is? His will is expressed in His Word. Now, I want to look at a one passage that expresses God's will 
And it is also a command that we can actually lift up to God in prayer. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And we'll begin our reading at verse 19 of Romans 12. Here, based upon the great doctrines which represent the great realities that our Savior has accomplished for us and brought to us, that He brings to us effectually by His Spirit, based upon all of these wonderful mercies of God, we have these commands. And in verse 19, Dearly Beloved, here's the command, Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. It is very clearly the will of God for us to Overcome evil with good. Now, we can make this a matter of prayer. And we can be confident that God will answer our prayer because it is His expressed will for us to overcome evil with good. Now, He commands our meek attitude and our actions toward our enemies. The promises here are two promises. That such actions will hit coals of fire on his head. Now let's think of it. What does that mean? I was just heaping up some coals of fire in the last hour. I was getting the coals of fire under a fresh log because I wanted it to burn. And in heaping coals of fire on an enemy's head, it means that we are to be so good to the enemy that the enemy will be ashamed because we are good to him and his evil will be overcome by our good. Now this is the second promise. Not only that it will heap coals of fire on his head, but the second promise is that we will actually overcome evil with good. This is also a matter for continual prayer. That God would make our good a means to overcome evil. That's a legitimate prayer according to the will of God. That our doing good will be a means of overcoming evil. It is God's will that we act this way so we can be confident that God will answer this prayer. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. It is according to His expressed will in the Word of God. Okay. Now, we go on here and take just a little bit here. 
We are to pray in the name of Christ, in obedience to His command, in confidence in His promises, to ask mercy for His sake. Now that is a most important term, His sake. Now mercy is a part of God's attribute of goodness. In our catechism we have the attributes of God, all summed up, the under goodness are His love, His patience, His mercy, His grace, His compassion. All of these things are under the attribute of goodness. So mercy is a part of goodness. It is that which relieves our misery, the old Puritans used to say. And what is our misery? Misery is one of the results of our sin. Being miserable. (laughs) And I'm sure at one time or another in your life, you have been a miserable mess. Well, mercy is God's relief for our misery. Otherwise, if our misery is not relieved by the grace of God, our misery will ultimately be maximized in divine eternal retribution in an undying fire. Now that's misery. That's everlasting misery. But thank God there's relief for our misery in mercy. We are to ask mercy for His sake. Mercy for Christ's sake. Now, I want us to think about those last two words. For Christ's sake, or for His sake. This again implies two things. Sake. You take that word sake. I did a word study on this. Most interesting thing. Sake is a wonderful little word that we hardly ever think about. First of all, Regarding Christ giving His life for our sake. Three times in the Gospel of John, He he uses that term. That He gives His life for our sake. He lays down His life for our sake. Now what does that mean? It means something very different from what it means in the second way. In the first way, it means that Christ gave His life for our sake, that is, in our place, instead of us, in behalf of us. But now we come to the second meaning, for Christ's sake. Now, sake. In the New Testament, from Acts, through the epistles, it often means something else. That what we are doing is for Christ's sake. What He has done is for our sake. But it was Christ doing it. Okay, but here, what we are to do and what the apostles did for Christ's sake, it has the different meaning of doing it for Christ's name, for Christ's cause and kingdom, or for His glory. Okay, so in our prayers, when we use His name, We so often just have that one little thing that we tag on the end. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, what do we mean by that? 
we should have the content of something about this, either one or the other, in our mind when we pray it. Otherwise, it can just be a vain repetition. Let's think about that a moment because it goes on to say, the next very next thing is not by bare mentioning of His name. If we just barely mention His name, maybe just tag it on the end kind of like you would a rabbit's foot, Jesus doesn't have good words to say about that. If you just toss His name in, kind of like John Newton said, in his hymn, toss his name in the scale because perhaps your your goodness is too light, you know, you want some more weight. Just toss his name in. And that's the way his name is often just tossed in prayer without the thoughts of for his kingdom or for his glory. Thank God what he's done for Christ's sake, he has saved my soul. Oh, for our sake, he's done that. Now, Let's uh, notice that Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. The bare mention of His name is not what He's talking about. But when we use His name, we should think about what He has done for our sake and what we are to pray for His sake, for His kingdom, for His glory, for His name. So the gist of mentioning His name in our prayers should communicate one of these two meanings. I'm not just throwing in Jesus' name like a magic formula or as a superstitious charm. But we are praying that it would be done for Jesus' sake because He gave Himself for us and because He will give us all that is good in our prayers. This could even be our plea for Jesus' sake. Because He gave Himself for us, He will also give us all that is good. Because God has given us the best, He will not deny us the rest. You know Romans 8.32 He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How shall He not then, with Him, also freely give us all things? I mean, when God exhausts the very wealth of heaven to give us the best in His Son, will He deny us any of the rest? The argument the Apostle Paul uses is no, He will not. He will give us all that we need. So when we pray in Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, we can make that our argument. Lord, You've given us Christ. You've given us the best. Give us the rest. And then we are praying for Jesus' sake that God would answer or give Christ glory. He would for. His kingdom is advanced that God would do this. That's what we're asking in Jesus' name. Not just the bare mentioning of His name. So next we come very near to the end here. We are to draw our encouragement to pray from Christ's name. We got a good dose of that this morning in Sunday school. 
we know we need encouragement to pray because the evil one, as we saw this morning, Satan did everything possible to stop real prayer to the living and true God. He tried to convince the people in Mansoul that God was against them. He screamed that they were rebelling when they turned to send petitions to Emmanuel. The devil wanted to stop the opening of mouth gates. And you know, we need encouragement to pray, not only because of the opposition that comes from without. And then, of course, the old diabolus was having to make all kinds of noise to try to keep the people from even being able to think of what petitions they were sending to Emmanuel. We not only have the, the things from outside of us that would cause us not to pray, but what about the sluggishness and the corruption of our very flesh that would discourage prayer? So we find encouragement for prayer in Christ. Not only in His name, but in His person and in His work. Who is He? We think about, we find encouragement from Him in the very name of our Lord and in the very name of where He sits. What is it called? The throne of grace. We are commanded to come boldly to what? To the throne of grace. But what's another name for where He is sitting? It is not the throne of a judge who will condemn us and say, get away! I don't like your sin! I'm not going to do anything else for you! I'm tired of you! No. It is called the mercy seat. He is so ready and willing to relieve our misery with His mercy. We find encouragement from the very name of the place where He sits. And we have a great high priest. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4 and chapter 2, oh, how wonderful our great high priest. Yes, in chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 3 of Hebrews verse 1, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful. He is a faithful high priest. How wonderful. We have a great high priest. We can find encouragement in the wonder of his person. He is faithful. We have a great high priest who has given his soul, his flesh, his blood in love for us on the cross. And he loves his own people still. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we have a great high priest that we read of there in verse, let's see right here, in verse 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest. We are told in verse 15 that He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is a sympathetic, great high priest. Tempted like as we are. Touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is sympathetic with us. The one we come to. In His very name to pray. 
And He's also merciful. For we read that we can come and we can obtain. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain. We're not coming to go away empty. We're coming to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. He is sympathetic, merciful, and faithful to answer our prayers, to give us exactly what we need. How encouraged to pray we are through Christ, through His throne of grace, through Himself loving us more than we can ever love Him. Faithful, merciful, sympathetic, great High Priest He is. We draw our strength and our boldness and our hope of acceptance all through Christ and His mediation that ends this. Now, we're going to think about this. Hebrews 4.16 commands us, let us therefore come boldly. When we consider Him, when we consider His throne, when we consider His wonderful person, and all of these glorious attributes, all of these gracious characteristics of our Savior, Let us therefore come boldly that we may obtain mercy and grace. And we are accepted. We have our acceptance in Him. The Father accepts our persons and our prayers through Christ. Ephesians 1.6, you know it. The Father has made us accepted in the Beloved that is in His beloved Son. We are accepted. So our persons and our prayers are accepted only through the mediation of Christ. John Calvin, referring to God the Father, wrote, We have the heart of God as we have placed before Him the name of His Son. We have the heart of God the Father as we have placed before Him the name of His only Son. But you know, it is so exceedingly sad that many people, even with all of the teaching of Christ about prayer, that there are many people that seem to think that because of their good personal deeds and their own inherent goodness, the things that they do, their good works, that they can stand before God on their own. They may mention Christ at the end of their prayer, but they pray much like the Pharisee did in Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. That Pharisee, Jesus said, prayed thus with Himself. He didn't pray with God or to God He prayed thus with Himself. And what did He say? He said, God, I thank Thee that I am not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So, He's saying, God should hear me for my sake. You should hear my prayers for my sake. Don't worry about Jesus Christ. 
No. God only hears prayers. They're only acceptable to Him in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, all of the political correctness of our times, I don't want you to pray in Jesus' name. You pray in anybody else's name but Jesus. So, wow. Now I told you last time that I would share a little more of church history with you about how God Himself fulfilled the desires of His praying people. He fulfills our desires, but He also gives us the desires of our heart. He gives us holy desires as believers. And we looked at Jonathan Edwards and also uh, the Puritan John Flavel or Flavel. And we also considered D.L. Moody and how that unspeakable joy came to him and he had to ask God to just hold your hand back a little. I, I, if I think it will actually kill me for the joy that I have. Well, it happened to John Wesley. In Aldersgate Street in London, England on May 24, 1738. He had been convinced for several weeks of the doctrine of justification by faith alone. He saw it quite clearly. He was preaching it. He believed it. But still there was something lacking. And he describes what happened. Wesley's own words in his journal. About a quarter before nine, while the one reading the preface of Luther's commentary on Romans was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that Christ had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Wesley had believed that before, but he was given a tremendous assurance of it. But what is interesting, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, is so interesting that what happened on May 24th that he just described, if you go back to his journal of January the 1st, 1739, the brethren were met for a special time of prayer seeking the Lord. And so Wesley describes that, and they were praying for more. God answered and gave him more in May. Mr. Hall, Hinching and Ingham and Whitfield and Hutching and my brother Charles were present at the love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. About three in the morning, as we were continuing instant in prayer, the power of God came mightily upon us, insomuch that many cried out, for exulting joy, and many others fell to the ground. As soon as we recovered a little from the awe and amazement of the presence of His Majesty, we broke out with one voice. We praise Thee, O God! We acknowledge Thee to be the Lord alone. They couldn't contain themselves. Because in the midst of their prayer, the Lord so 
presenced himself there that they were overwhelmed. And there is that reality even in the present day. And I would dare say that in the countries where our brethren are so persecuted, they enjoy such mighty experiences of the presence of God. And I know by experience of going to Bomb City and praying with the different groups there in uh, in the Free Presbyterian Church and many different churches and gatherings and some gatherings just for prayer, that it was overwhelming at times just enjoying the presence of God. So, this matter of prayer. Let's go over this question one last time. What is it to pray in the name of Christ? To pray in the name of Christ is in obedience to His command and in confidence on His promises to ask mercy for His sake, not by bare mentioning of His name, but by drawing our encouragement to pray and our boldness, strength, and hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ and His mediation. Amen. Well, we'll end our study there tonight of that question.